Well, thank you again for having us, Pastor. Um, we look forward to this service all here as well. And um, I don't know why I think I can play worship and, and worship at the same time with my family in the room, thinking of what God has done for me. Uh, it's hard to get through a verse. I have to make myself like think of something horrible so that maybe I won't cry and miss a verse. Um, but I move with emotion um, anytime I have the opportunity to, to share and be in the same community where I, I wasn't living such a good life and uh, was running from God and his plan for my life. But, um, but Teen Challenge happened for me. And um, if you've been here before and been in one of our services before, you've probably heard my story. And I'm not going to share that today, but that is, that is what happened, basically. I, I was lost in addiction, and I came to Teen Challenge. Um, God radically changed my life. And uh, here I am, um, over 10 years now, uh, serving at Teen Challenge, Sunrise Ranch. And you got a good idea for a, a snapshot of a day in the life of Teen Challenge to give you perspective um, of what we do and who we are. Many times when people see that video, they, they really haven't kind of put two and two together, the, the scope of what we do. Um, and the fact that 54 men are in discipleship. You've heard of one man this morning, Josh, um, and his story, but that's one man. There are 54 beds and they stay full. Right now we have a waiting list and we always have a packed house at sunrise. Um, we also have our program inside of Lawton Correctional. Uh, I talked about it briefly on the video, but this, this uh, ministry is a fully functioning teen challenge inside of a prison, which is crazy. So not just a program where they leave their pod and they go to, you know, chapel or something like that. Their pod is teen challenge. And so everybody in that pod, 100 men, 100 inmates are either on the waiting list to get into the program or are in the program. 50 on the waiting list, 50 in the program. And so these are all men going through every bit of the Teen Challenge curriculum that we have on our property. And so we are a ministry with two locations. And what we've seen in the prison is nothing short of a miracle. Um, you talk about a dangerous place. This was a whacking hut. Um, used to be called by the inmates stab and cut. It's a violent, violent yard. It's what they call a gladiator yard um, where um, there are some rough people there. But Teen Challenge has been injected into that system and um, when I walk through the corridors of that prison, I see our graduates from the year before who are now serving as trustees and different things within the prison and have gone through the program and then have gone out into the rest of the, the yard and made an impact. And so we are seeing ma amazing things. The prison is so excited about this, this, uh, the results of this program that they are trying to give us more and more beds. That's why we're in a hundred man pod. Um, they would just assume give us the entire prison, um, but we're not prepared for that. Um, but God has been doing some amazing things, and the, the prison, the guards, just making an impact across the entire yard. Um, I love Teen Challenge. It's, 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 it's given me life. It's given me an opportunity to live life and to its fullest, and I'm grateful to, to God for that opportunity. Well, today I want to talk uh, from Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. <coughs> Luke chapter 20. I'm really going to be going through chapter 20, verse 1 through 26, giving us an idea for what is happening here. 
First of all, I want us to look at the, the first scripture, which is verse 1. Luke chapter 20, verse 1 says this. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught, speaking of Jesus, in the, the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him. The thing that I want you to, to really look at in this passage of scripture is what's underlined. He taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel. Um, I was very blessed uh, on three occasions to be able to travel to the Holy Land. On one of those occasions to study in the Holy Land for five and a half weeks uh, with the Center for Holy Land Studies and really giving cultural and um, historical uh, context for the land of the Bible. And one thing that it's done for me is, is bring it to life. And so I want, I want to attempt to do that this morning. Last time I was here, I did the same thing. And we looked at Jesus in the temple. Jesus um, in the courtyards when he turns over tables and he removes those who are selling in the temple, who are separating common man from holy God. Well, now we are after that story. Jesus has wreaked havoc. Now, I want to give you a little context here. Jesus is not just some hippie on the, the hills of the Galilee teaching 12 men. It, that's not the picture. Do you remember he fed the 5,000? Well, why did he feed 5,000? Because 5,000 were there. And that was just speaking of the men. This was no small movement. This was a revolution. And not a revolution as Rome had seen and the Jewish people had seen time and time again and even after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, but a, res but a, a, a revolution of the heart to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who spitefully use you. Not the, the war speech that was on the lips of some uh, messianic figures from Jewish culture and community. But Jesus is teaching something different, and he's teaching in the temple. So if there are thousands of people following him, at one point they thronged him, they were pressing him in on every side, and a woman broke through that crowd, had to peel people apart to touch the hem of his garment. This is a movement. People are crying out to him, and they did not take him during the day in the temple because they were scared of what? The people. Because there were thousands that were, were wanting to know if he was the one. The day before, he had entered Jerusalem toward the temple, toward the eastern gate, to the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us. Laying down palm branches and, and clapping and, and, and praising him as he approached the temple on a donkey. You know, Caesars would, would many times enter towns on horseback with the, the shouting of the people in victory as Caesar would enter. Well, now Jesus is entering, but he's not entering on a stallion. He's entering on a donkey. And people are crying out to him. This is a movement. And Jesus is in the temple daily teaching, preaching the gospel. And then the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him. This first picture I want to show you gives us an idea of the tabernacle of meeting. It's going to show us what the tabernacle of meeting looked like in Moses' time. It's a tent. There we go. And this is actually a recreation in Elot. This is southern Israel uh, down by the Red Sea. And um, this is a recreation. 
construction made to the exact specs of the, the temple given by Moses. And so what is the temple? When, when Jesus is in the temple teaching, what, what, are, what is the context around this? The next picture is also going to be a picture of that same tent of meeting. First prescribed by Moses or by God to Moses as then he built the temple. And what did this temple represent? Well, it represented a connection with humanity to God. And isn't that why we're here today? A connection with humanity to God. And in the Old Testament, we see that so beautifully outlined in the tabernacle of meeting. In the next slide, you're going to see a temple recreation. Now, this took years to build. It was built in the, um, and it is placed in the, the Israeli museum, also where the scrolls are kept. And this is a model that shows us Temple Mount. Now you have Moses' tabernacle. Then later you have Solomon builds a temple. And then Herod the Great builds a temple. The temple that Jesus is interacting with is the, the temple of Herod the Great. Now Herod the Great doesn't spare any expense and he builds this elaborate worship structure, which some to believe Mount Moriah where Abraham offers Isaac. Well, he takes a shoebox and he puts it around the top of this mountain and he backfills it. And then he builds a temple on top. The next picture is a picture of the actual modern uh, picture of the Holy Land from the Mount of Olives. So now we're looking at the temple remnants. The remnants of the temple that Jesus walked through, at least the, the temple mount border wall, is still intact from the first century in the time of Jesus. The next is a picture of uh, temple steps in the model. So what we're doing is we've gone back from, from a model picture to a current picture so that we can see that this is no fairy tale. This is reality based in the Holy Land of, yes, a model, but then the actual second picture now um, show the second picture of the steps. If you see the different uh, patterns, you see a real tight pattern on some of those steps, and then you see a, a solid pattern on some of the other ones. The solid lo uh, pattern, loose pattern, is first century stone. Stones that the disciples taught on. Stones that Jesus taught on. Where I believe, more than likely, Jesus would have been teaching daily in the temple. Because on Temple Mount, it is more for the offering of sacrifices and the approaching um, into the holy place uh, through the sacrifice that the priests offer. But this was a place where thousands upon thousands could flock and listen to people teach. So as we talk about this scripture today from Luke chapter 3, you can see where at least the vicinity where these things happened. And so now I think there's one more picture of uh, a temple if, or if not, go and go to the scripture. Luke chapter 20, verse 2. And spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? Now remember, he's, he's rushed, bum rushed the temple. <laughs> he's turned over tables. And the religious authorities are upset and they're like, what? Who are you? We've heard about you, the blind see, the lame walk. We even heard that, that you rose Lazarus from the dead. But who give, what gives you the right to do what you're doing in the temple? And so many times they would send somebody to Jesus to, 
to try to catch him in his words. You see it time and time and time again as they ask him question after question. What authority? Show me your credentials. So what's Jesus' response? He answers with another question, which he does a lot. I love it. What authority are you doing these things? And he says, well, you answer me this and I'll answer you that. John the Baptist's baptism, is it of God or is it, was it of men? By this time, John the Baptist has been martyred and gone on and, and they go away from each other and they, they talk to each other and they say, well, if we say that it's of, of God, then we're substantiating John the Baptist's work. And we can't do that because we don't want to lend credence to what he stood for because ultimately John the Baptist also rejected the temple his father offered incense in the temple. Remember that? And yet he's out in the, the muddy Jordan baptizing people in unkosher waters. That's a whole nother lesson. But we see that Jesus asks a question that knows that will split them right up. And they say, if we say that it is of men and it wasn't of God, then we are scared because of the people. Here we go again with the people. The amount of people that are believing in John the Baptist and believing in Jesus. And so they don't want to answer him. So they go back to Jesus and say, we can't answer you that. So Jesus says, well, neither will I answer you. But let me tell you a story, which he's answering them, by the way. So let's think about that story. It's a story about a vineyard owner. A vineyard owner who had leased his land out. He had leased his land out to servants, and it was time for the harvest. And so this vineyard owner, he sends servants to go collect his portion. The servants get there. The, the, the ones who are leasing the vineyard, they beat the servant up and they throw him out. Jesus says, and then he sends another servant because these two first were beaten and sent away and I'll send another servant. He sends another servant. They do the same thing to the second servant. Jesus continues to tell the, tell the story and he ends it like this. Well, the vineyard owner said, they will respect my son. I will send my, my beloved son to them and surely they're going to respect him. Well, the son gets there. They not only beat the son, but they murder the son and they reject the, the authority of the vineyard owner. You see, as was Jesus' custom, he is answering them. They're asking, what authority do you do these things? So the meaning of that is this, that God is the vineyard owner. I have sent prophet after prophet after prophet. I've sent the patriarchs, the judges, righteous kings who stood up and repaired the temple. And yet you stone them, you murder them, and you throw them out. So I said... I'll send my only son, my beloved son. Surely they will respect him. This is the beauty. Christ is answering them. Let me tell you what authority I do these things. I am the son of the vineyard owner. And these men, they were upset because they realized at some point in the story that he told the story against them. And they get upset. Now remember the temple it is a structure, it is a prescription by which sinful man comes in contact with holy God. And here we have Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, 
the Son of God in his authority. Can you imagine? That's the whole reason that temple existed. The whole reason was every single piece and implement of that temple looked toward the Messiah, toward Jesus. And Jesus is there. The sacrificial offering, Jesus. The table of shoe bread and the bread that was broken and eaten, Jesus. The menorah, the lampstand that shined bright, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. One after another, we see Jesus is there. Now, whoo. I don't know that there could be a stronger rebuke needed. You're doing all these things, trying to look for the coming of the Messiah, and yet you can't see him in front of you. The one that they were approaching through this great prescription by which to enter the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant stood. And Jesus... (laughs) is standing and staring them in the face. And they dare to question his authority. You see, Jesus is the temple. And that's what I love about the the cultural and historical context of of the land of the Bible is when you read Jesus is in the temple teaching, you really don't grasp that concept as much and able to back up and see in great perspective that he's not behind the veil. God had abandoned that temple, but he's walking on dusty streets. And, and he, who consider it robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and made in the form of a bondservant, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. That he was the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek who would come and, and direct us through the veil to God's presence. And how beautiful on the day of Christ's crucifixion, the veil rips from top to bottom. And we understand that so many times is the veil ripping maybe because man couldn't do it. It was too tall, it was too thick. But after walking through that tabernacle of meeting, the recreation of Moses' tent sanctuary, we were led by a Messianic Jewish woman and at the end of the, 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 or at the beginning, actually, of the tour, she wanted to make sure that we were all Christians and believers because she was a Messianic Jew, and if anyone knew that she was Messianic, they would burn that temple down because she stood and, and had followed Christ. Well, at the end of this meeting, um, we're walking and we're getting ready to approach the Holy of Holies in this recreation, and she says, why did the temple veil rip from top to bottom? And everybody said, what's pretty normal? Only God could do that. She says this, what does a Jewish father do when he loses his child? What does a Jewish father do when he loses a son? He takes his garments and he rips them from top to bottom. He rips them in mourning and he clothes himself in sackcloth and ashes and he mourns because he's lost a child. You see, God's entire reasoning in the temple being created was to give you access 
to give men like this access. All 54 students in our program and 100 inside of the prison. Men who have been beaten down, torn down, and given no hope for life. But God gives second chances. Opportunity to be reformed into his image. You see, that's the reason he came to give us access. The next scripture is verse 22. It says this. So here we are. We've walked walking through this passage of scripture and we've seen that there's this con- confrontation with these Pharisees and we've heard why, why they're asking that because he is establishing himself as an authority, turning over tables saying, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. And so they ask him the questions. He gives them the answer through the story, but they're not done yet. They want to come back to him again and continually to press him. You think they would have learned their lesson? You, you got to picture this, that when he's teaching these things, there's these interactions, there's a bunch of people watching. So he, you know, verbally slaps them around a little while and, and then they're, oh, they don't have anything to say. You constantly hear that after Christ has answered them. They just like, just, just walk away. Nothing left to say here. They come with a great scheme. This is pretty good. It's a pretty good scheme, by the way. They're going to come and say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Remember, there have been revolutionary messianic figures that have come before. And their goal here is to to pin him against Rome, which ultimately they believe the Messiah would do. Take back Temple Mount. Still to this day, the Jewish people um, have given control of Temple Mount to the Waft, which is the Muslim guard, um, because they don't want to capture Temple Mount and rebuild the temple by their own hands. I mean, they won the war. They could easily take the Dome of the Rock and level it and kick the Muslim out. But that small piece of real estate, they said... You can have it for now. There's a Messiah coming that will take it on his own, and we don't need, he doesn't need our help. There's this, they're trying to pin him against Rome, but he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered Caesar's. This is one of my, every time I get to go to the Holy Land, I, I, I save up and I buy one thing. This is a denarius. And this has Caesar Tiberius's image. It's the first century Daenerys dug from the ground of Jerusalem. The exact Daenerys Jesus was talking about in this picture. I'm just kidding. Not really. I'll sell it after service. So he asked for a Daenerys with Tiberius's image. And he says, whose inscription is on that Daenerys? Once again, he asked them a question. They asked him a question, he asked them a question. Love it. Whose image is on that? Oh, the answer is easy. That's Caesar's image. Caesar. That's Caesar. That's Tiberius. We know him. Could have been Augustus. There could have been a a later um, coin from um, the the previous uh, Caesar. But he asked whose image is on that coin. They say Caesar's. Now, he says something very profound here. I think that some of us miss at times. He says this, well, whose image is on that coin? When, when you think of image in biblical history, 
And we're talking about Jewish people who have memorized the Torah. Image comes from Genesis. And he created them, male and female, in his own image. He says, whose inscription is on that coin? They say Caesar's. He says, well, then render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. So here we have a coin. There's another picture here of the back of it, I believe, that is made of metal. Okay, you dig it from the ground, you, you melt it, cast the coin, give it out. This little thing, you know, now it's worth a little more, but back then it wasn't worth, you know, it's just a piece of metal. Who cares? Here, yeah, give it to Caesar. He can have that little piece of metal. <laughs> he really puts it in context and in perspective here. But then the beauty is, is this, is his response after that and the next scripture, if you would pull it up. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. Now the proper way to read this would be like this. Render to Caesar those things that are made in his image. And render to God those things that are made in his. See, it wasn't so much about paying taxes. I mean, that obviously, yes, pay your taxes. You need to do that. But that's not, the, that's not why he's saying this. That's not the, the, the motivation in, in, in conjuring this coin out of someone's pocket. His reasoning is to say, give to Caesar those things made in his image, but give to God those things made in his so he takes this stupid little question that they ask and he blows their mind. So my question is this, what is made in his image? The homeless man down the street, your African-American brother, the Asian brother, the Caucasian, the child. What is made in his image? And how do we treat that which is made in his image. Matthew 25 gives us some, some perspective on this. Matthew 25, 37 and 40 says this, Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It shows us how to love our wives and how to love your husbands and how to love your family because out of everything made in this world, a little worthless piece of metal, all the possessions that we can have, what bears Christ's image? You. And in all talk about the temple, we see that, that ultimately the Bible tells us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And much like the temple of Moses, which pulled its tent pegs up and moved from place to place, so you walk through this world, God's representation, bearing his image, carrying the church with you everywhere you go, loving those were made in the image of God. And woe to you who offends one of these little ones. He feels very strongly about you. 
He feels very strongly about humanity, so strongly that he was willing to send his son to pay the ransom. And they beat him and they threw him out of the vineyard. Aren't you glad that our gospel is really a gospel of good news? It's a gospel that is real life. That is Jesus, God become man, walking among us, walking on those dirty streets so that the veil could rip and you could go out as the temple of God, blessing all those that you come in contact with. Church, that is Teen Challenge. Restoring those who were made in the image of God because no one is past saving. No one is past saving. No one too beat down, no one too addicted that God cannot restore them and form them back into his image of kindness, of love, of joy. Now, easy, but I didn't even, wasn't even aware of all the chaos that we see on, you know, right now on, on social media and the news. And um, when Don asked at one point what I was gonna speak on today, I'd, didn't even think of it, but I answered this very message. And um, what, what a message for a time is right now that we are made in his image. We are his image bearers on this earth and we need to love and respect everyone who's made in the image of God. Thank you so much, church. We are always just blessed to be a part of your, your services. And I wish you had one in Lawton, Love authentic spirit and, and genuineness that is in this group. You guys have something special, and uh, we would like you to, to, to bow your heads, and we're going to pray and ask the band to come up, and, and just they're going to play a song and just reflect on this, this passage of Scripture in Luke as we consider him, what he did for us, as we consider the temple and the one who came to the temple Lord, to, to make a way for us. God, we love you today, and we thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. Lord, have your way in this place. Lord, we ask, God, that you would help us. Lord, to respect others, even when we become short-tempered, angry, frustrated. God, help us always to remember that the person looking at us was made in your image, and we should honor them, love them, God, and give, because ultimately, God, as we do it unto the least of these, we're doing it unto you.